and welcome to this Rugby Pit podcast. We are now reviewing, or we're now at the end of the Rugby World Cup group stages. We've had five weeks of great group rugby. We've had some great matchups that we um, can reflect on. And now we're getting to the serious stuff, the business end of the Rugby World Cup. As the quarterfinals are set, we have our brackets. We are now three weeks away from crowning a new Rugby World Cup champion. I'm Tala, I'm, I'm driving this podcast today, and I'm joined by Sean and Cooks as well. Um, let's start with you, Sean. Um, how was the week without the Springboks playing this week? How did you experience that week? Hi, and welcome to everybody. Um, <laughs> weirdly enough, uh, Cooks and I were chatting about this before you jumped on. I was like, it was, it was so weird. Um, the Springboks weren't playing, and I mean, obviously the World Cup, you're used to like a whole bunch of games, and then the, the Springboks play. And then it didn't happen and it hit me last night. I was like, all of a sudden, just super nervous about that quarterfinal and <laughs> just like, it was weird. But a- a- another thing that I've realized is like, have you noticed how every week a new, like a new team is going to win the World Cup? So it all depends on who wins the biggest or who, you know, if like, for instance, this weekend, South Africa d- didn't play, but now everyone's like, nope, it's, in- it's Ireland. It's France, stuff like that, you know. So I think there's a lot of that uh, that bias running around. But um, as you said, it's the business end. So it all happens this week. It's do or die, huh? Yeah, it's going to, yeah, we can certainly look forward to at least a lot of those questions being answered by the end of the week. Yo, I can't, I can't wait. And I'm also not looking forward to hearing all those agendas after that. Cooks, how was the week off for you? Uh, week was um was good. Uh, I went home to see the parents, but probably when the Springboks aren't playing, you gotta listen to other bullshit takes. I'm, I'm you know sick and tired I was of people trying to convince me that Ireland's gonna lose to Scotland and this like that's all I listened to the whole week. It's like it was the it was the bane of my existence and people were like no, but I look at God because I'm like, Scotland you never know. I'm like oh like all of a sudden Scotland's gonna be Ireland. So that's not how my week was spent. Um. Well, filtering to that, but then obviously some good rugby in the weekend, and it was weird having. I'm 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 excited with having the box off, but I'm excited to go back to our normal, box 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 fight. So I mean, after from dealing with the Irish and Scottish, so excited to deal with the box fights and how and how and also I think I'm 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 excited for a certain surgeon who can rest now because he's cleared to punt. I wonder if he's where was the surgeon when my pimpy was injured. Like we, that, that, that's like why was it not made available for my pimpy this week? So I mean, we could have been playing this weekend. I don't think, but um, yeah, good weekend. And yours, Tyler? South African medical aid, I don't think works for that French surgeon. Yeah, I don't know. Dupont's plan must be fantastic. It was send my pimpy to that that surgeon and then to Fiji to recover. Like it's simple, really. <laughs> Go to the Holo's doctor. Fiji after the operation from Dupont. Yeah, hundred percent. Then you even back it is, exactly. if you win the weekend, potentially back for the same. Year. Like, no, I I don't know. Yeah, it seems I I'm happy for that surgeon's sake that now he's not going to be asked every day if Dupont is fine. He's done his job, and now it's up to the French rugby team and Dupont to see what happens. Sure, but you know, like I reckon that I think all the hard work comes now for him. Like now, mm. it's like. What am I worth? What I'm worth is all what happens in the future. Because he's done, he's done all the hard job, but everyone's always, everyone is going, to, is going to sort of rate him on what happens now. So I don't think his job's done. There's no ways he's going on holiday or anything. I think, yeah, what you, 
I think the last thing that the surgeon needs is if there's some like repeat of what happens to DuPont or whatever. Now everyone's looking at him. Like, I don't know what a facial surgeon does. I don't know if it's like plastic surgery as well, but yeah, this guy, if DuPont goes well, he's going to be the surgeon to all the stars, basically any facial reconstruction surgeries that happen in whoever France's big actors or influencers are that he's going to be doing all of those um, surgeries from now on. Truth. Okay, so let's get into the rugby for the weekend. And I think we can only start one place, and that was the game of the weekend, the last um, pool match of the well, of the whole Rugby World Cup. And this finally brought probably the, 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 the first real surprise um, result in the Rugby World Cup, or at least big shock victory. And that was Portugal beating Fiji 24 points to 23. Now, this game had absolutely everything. It continued like just Pool C just delivering absolutely entertaining and crazy games. And Portugal, I think at the end of the day, they were able to just show enough skill and enough um, calmness under pressure to get the result at the end. And yeah, it's a beautiful result for Portugal. It's their first Rugby World Cup win um, that they've had. And yeah, Sean, I think there's so many things to celebrate about what Portugal did. Um, is yeah, uh, as we obviously, I'm sure people follow Francisco Isaac on Twitter. You could just see how happy he was after the like after the match. He posted a video about that as well. This is such a big result, I think, not only for Portuguese rugby, but I think for tier two rugby going forward. Massive, massive in in so many ways, especially because of the way Fiji played in the beginning of the tournament, um, and also just before it, you know, beating England. Fiji, like everyone's picking Fiji to go through to the quarters and all that. And no one is really paying attention to Portugal. More along the lines of how they got to the World Cup and they were pretty competitive. And then they obviously squeezed out that draw. But this game was, was huge. Huge for me. Like ahead of kickoff, they were interviewing the coach and they're like, so, you know, what are you going to do and how are you going to beat them? And he just flat out said, Georgia showed us a blueprint of how to defend against Fiji, and we're going to build on that. And I love it. I love it. It was, it was amazing. And it's, yeah, what? Every single time, um, every single time that the Portuguese did something and scored, you felt that Fiji were going to come back and then take it away. We've seen, like, we've seen this so many times. Like, a team's competitive, and then the, the, stronger, the stronger side kind of does something Breaks, breaks the concentration and then walks all over them. But it didn't happen. Portuguese, the Portuguese believed in themselves the whole way and I absolutely loved it. Yeah, and I think what was great was that Portugal just, it wasn't a fluke uh, result, so to speak. Portugal has probably played at this level in all four of their Rugby World Cup games and they just were able to maybe improve it a little bit and, and have a bit more uh, the temperament to actually go through the last 20 that they maybe didn't have in the Wales and the Georgia games. And they actually now came through at the win, which is just so rewarding as well. Cooks. Yeah. I think just talking about the players specifically, I think there's a lot of favorites that, you know, people that like at least myself and and maybe others that never really watch rugby Europe championships are now going to be big favorites of and try to follow for the, for the rest of their careers now. Yeah, it was, um, Oh man, it's such a massive result because you're you're right, Tara. Like there's 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 these guys who are professional gardeners and things like that. <laughs> you don't know what they do for a living, but 
guys who were rugby, they say side hustle. Um, and they still, man, and they're coming in and beating a side like Fiji, you know, I think, <laughs> man, it was amazing. I thought when Fiji made it 23-17, I, I, I kind of felt deflated because I was like, man, I really wanted Portugal to actually win the game and, and, and for Fiji to go through. But the tries they scored and the rugby that they scored, I mean, they played was incredible to watch. I think, Tyler, we spoke about it two weeks ago when you were in the pod about saying how these tier two nations, the big thing, this, some of them are, is the rugby that they're playing. It's not just old, just scrums, line outs, and just sort of just, they're just like almost, almost parking the bus and just hoping to sort of try to squeak through result. Like Portugal was, 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 was so funny to see in that game, especially in that first half where Fiji was out kicking Portugal. Fiji was kicking a lot more than, than Portugal. Portugal was just running everything, you know, like, just kick the ball. And Fiji was sort of playing the more structural rugby. And then, and I think obviously then Portugal opened themselves up, but the way they defended, I think it was absolutely brave when they had to. And just such an incredible, incredible result. And it's an incredible game of rugby. I mean, they're going to be heroes there. I, I, I know Victor Matfield was saying that he's, he's spoken to you from Juan de Bath, his son, Nicholas Martins. Shocks, I, I, I hope you listen to this thing with the Shocks coaches. Please, we need to sign Nicholas Martins. Um, is, is, is it Marquez, the scrum off? I need to see him <laughs> playing URC week in, week out. I know the show's got 34 scrum offs. Let's add him two. Let's add him two. I need Jaden Hendricks, Ron Williams, and Marquez as my three nines. That's, that's what I need to see. That is what I need to see. But no, it was, it was amazing. And I really hope that a lot of these players, that um, they do get contracts and they do, do, do see them week in, week out. And Natalia, you said for tier two teams that we do actually get to see it sparks us to see them more because you want to see them more involved. I mean, that was, I mean, Portugal has been, has been incredible all World Cup long and it's an incredible story. And that's, and they played their first World Cup in 2007. That's how much they've grown in 12 years, so, which is amazing. Just 16 years, which is amazing. Yeah. Mark, Mark, Marquez gives me such Ron Pino vibes. I don't know if it's maybe the bald head or the fact that he like, you know, kicks a lot and handles all the tactical things, I think, for Portugal. But yeah, I, I you can actually see Mark's being Mark is being a good um Sharks player because he has the, the Ron Pinar template to follow on. But I mean, speaking of kicks, Sean, we have to mention um probably the moment of the oh. tournament um so far. Kicking battles happening between Fiji and Portugal, it's Kick ping pong, like Cook said, I mean, there were 67 kicks in this game. You'd never think, you would think that with uh, Fiji playing. And at some point, it's now, we see uh, someone a little bit bigger than a normal backline player coming to collect the ball in the 22 for Portugal. Up six, Mike Todger, who collects the ball there in the backfield. And I had to adjust my eyes a few times, being like, why is he, or, or why is he back there? And then he starts shaping up to kick. And then, Sean, what happens? It was incredible. He, I, I swear he put in a torpedo, but he didn't, as we would have heard about it. He's, he's put in a 40-meter <laughs> clearing kick to touch. It was incredible. It's 70. Oh, well, it could be 90 by the end of today. But it was, oh, it was incredible. You know, the thing is, you know, obviously when you're watching rugby on TV, you, you don't, like it all depends on what the camera's doing. The camera had focused in, so to be fair, it was a great option and a great kick by Fiji because I don't know, the last man in and back for Portugal um, ran it up and then kicked. And then Fiji, there was no one in the back there. And when that kick went down there, I saw, like, as you mentioned, a slightly larger human being 
running that direction. And I was like, that's interesting, but you're kind of waiting for a fullback or a, a backline player to emerge out of the side of the screen, you know, into picture. It didn't happen. And then he realized that he was last man and he put on the gas to get there. He was being chased down by three, <laughs> three Fijians. And then he shapes up to kick. I'm like, this is going to be fun. And he whacks it. I couldn't believe it. I absolutely couldn't believe it. And everything about it, it when, he, when he lined up to kick and his whole kicking motion, I instinctively was like, this has got to be good. Everything looked perfect. This is not his first rodeo. This is not his first rodeo in any way, shape, or form. He's just lined that kick up and he's whacked it and it's just gone all the way. And you know what? He just casually walks on off to the lineup because that was the next player. Elite, elite stuff. Most talented rugby player in the world by miles. And sure, don't forget, the kick was incredible. But for me, with Mike Tarja, my, my, I thought the kick was really my favorite moment was when he got the ball out wide and he dummied by trying to almost pass the ball behind his back with a one-arm a one, a, a one offload. Like, so, dummy behind the back. I'm like, who is this man? Yes. Like, why, is he, why, is he, why is he kicking for, kicking for the corner? Why is he dummying behind his back? I'm like, who is this man and why is he not on our screens every single week? We need so to So let see me tell you. But you said, Sean, like you, you and Tyler are the biggest advocates for Pro D two. This is the this he's a, he's a this is why people should be watching it. Like just 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 for Mike Tarja. I was just gonna tell you now. He plays in the D two, and the 11, 11 Portuguese players have contracts in the D two. I think the rest are all playing um, elsewhere. But that is the Pro D two, the best league. And Colin, I'm willing to fight you. URC may be the best league. This this. URC versus the Pro D2. That is one of the most competitive leagues out, and I love it. And he's taken, I think he's he spent his whole career in the D2. He's taken all that experience, and he's whipped it out in a World Cup game against Fiji. As not only a hooker and a scrummager, which is what you'd expect, he's kicking for touch. He's got a behind-the-back show and goes. He had a great offload somewhere. I think he put in a monster tackle too. Done it all. And he... And he the best part is he did it all in his final game for Portugal. It was his last game. He's retiring after this, and he saved it all for one game. I, I love it. Yeah, um, his interview after the game um, was absolutely brilliant. He said, <laughs> "Yeah, it was a bit funny though when he said with carrying his two kids, I could die now." And his, I think, daughter was looking at him like, "What?" <laughs> It's like, if I die now, I'm happy. Message. <laughs> Shame. I was like, that's a bit rough. But um, I think the other thing, and Cooks, you'll back me up here as a, a former coach and a former forwards player. If your coaches ever tell you forwards, don't practice kicking or don't mess around kicking um, during rugby practice, show them this clip of Mark Tajer getting a 40-meter clearance with, with everything on the line in a rugby World Cup game. This should be clear proof to everyone that Every forward should be working on their, on their spiral kicks. I, I have questions though. Like how, <laughs> with so much kicking going on, what was he doing to be there in the first place? Like, <laughs> was he being lazy? Yeah. Was he, did he see it ahead of time? What's he doing there? Where are the backline players? <laughs> what sort of chaos is going on here? I really want to watch again and just be like, okay, at what point does Taja decide either okay, I'm going to stay back. Or like you said, Sean, did he see that like, you know, the Portuguese back three or the backline players are all up 
and he needs to cover that space. And then number three, where were the wings and the fullbacks to help him? Because like you said, Sean, there was a point where it's just like, okay, is he going to pass to someone? No, there's no one there. It's He kind of has to kick. And I thought, okay, this is going to be a shank. <laughs> this is going to be two meters is out, it? 22 line yeah. out for Fiji. And then it's the truth. He had no other option. He had to kick. He couldn't carry. That's <laughs> so true. There was no other option yet. Yeah. But yeah, so Mike Tudger, you know what? Supersport, if you're listening to this, uh, Clinton van der Berg, whoever's the boss is there, guys, just one pro D2 match a week. That's all I'm asking for. Like, get us top 14, drop, uh, you can drop Serie A. We don't really need to watch that. Like, get us the top 14, get us one pro D2 match a week on Supersport because clearly this is the chaos league that we've been missing this whole time. Yeah, Cox, you mentioned the Nicholas Martins um, story that um, Victor Matfield was... Um, Hyping him up for Bath, which is awesome. Like, yo, he reminds me a lot of like, almost like he's just such a good, hardworking type of player. I think he's a, a bit like, I don't, yeah, I don't know, like Jacques Bertens, a little bit like Bernard Leroux, like someone that's just hardworking and gets through a lot of work. Um, he will definitely be a player that I think we'll see in the top leagues sooner rather than later. I think he's playing the Pro D to himself. Um, and then I think the superstar, I guess, that comes out of this Portuguese team is um, is Rafael Storti. Like, this man can finish. Like, anytime he has a little bit of space, he's going to be able to finish that. He's, I think, Sean, he's in the he's in the Stade France um, squad, right? Sure. Oof. Um, I'll, I'll if you uh, if you just carry on that, I'll let you know shortly. I totally <laughs> don't know. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, he's clearly someone that needs to be playing regularly because yeah, he definitely has the talent. And I mean, if you're probably the best finisher in a game that has Sabosi and Ravatomada, you you're definitely more than talented enough. And yeah, so this is gonna be awesome because Portugal, um, there's a great um podcast that Squidge, well, Robbie and Will recorded after the Portuguese win. And they're talking about basically that this whole team has pretty much grown up together. They were all in the under twenties together. Um, the coach of Portugal, um, Patrice Lassique, like he said, um, also selected a lot of them in his first match, I think in 2019 um, against Brazil. And they were all teenagers at that stage. So like, this is a team that could really grow together and has maybe another two World Cups in them. Like, it's not out of the question that this team could actually be a quarterfinalist if things go, go, go well for them. So yeah, it's really exciting to, to, to look forward to their progress. Sean? Yeah, so he was actually at uh, Stade Francais um, for only a season, but he's been at Beziers in the Pro D2 um, since the beginning of last season. He's played he's played 12 games and scored 10 tries. Pretty much what you'd expect. Not bad, not bad at all. Cooks, turning over to the Fijian side, I mean, it's one of those I've won but at what cost type of situation. So they lose the game. They're the second um, quarterfinalist to lose two games in um, the pools after France in 2011. They were finalists, to be fair. Um, they have injuries now to um, Nia Levu. It sounds like there's maybe also a little niggle that came to Radraja out of the game. Tuisova also was subbed off um, uh, before the end of the game as well. They had an injury early to uh, Maya Navanoa, the, the lock as well. Like, this is not it's almost like a worst case scenario here for 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 the um for the Fijians. It almost also seemed like Portugal being a bit more unstructured 
threw Fiji off. It's almost like they were beaten on their own game. So, yeah, like I was feeling like Fiji was a good bet to get to the semifinals. I'm not so feeling. I'm not feeling so confident now. I think the big thing, Tala, is I think them against Georgia and um, Portugal, they, 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 they Fiji didn't look great. I think maybe is the expectations things. Obviously, them being expected expected to win. I mean, they do lose one of these games once in the World Cup. I mean, the last World Cup, they lost to Uruguay. So. If 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 you're a tier two side looking to make history, just hope to have Fiji in your pool because at this rate they're just giving sides um historical moments. But uh, I think the injuries are the big one, Tyler. I think that's that that could be what hurts them against England. But because I think game plan wise, I don't think they can play any worse than they played against Port- and how they played last night. I think the amount of errors they made, I think a better side would have hurt them properly. I mean the the, the knock ons and missed line outs, and I thought, geez, Fiji's like. They sort of, especially especially in the, especially in the first half where they kept giving Portugal opportunities and opportunities, and Portugal didn't take them. And you and you you almost sitting there like, man, a better side could have been up by say 20, 20 odd points. And I thought maybe Portugal might actually have wasted a chance in the second half, but they actually could group better and better as as the game went on. And you look at the periods where they had their chance to score silly knock-ons by the trial line. Uh, racking wasn't great where they lost a few turnovers by, right by the trial line so I think for Fiji I, I definitely I think England is, I think they're facing a, 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 a different England side I think even England will probably will double down on will double down on obviously the, the way they've been playing the less, less attractive rugby they're going on and they'll probably look at the way Georgia and Portugal sort of defended them and sort of forcing them into Sort of forcing them into a, a situation where it's like where the, the most forcing Fiji to play, and I think that's what England will try to do. And sort of, I know England, I mean, I know Fiji's a lot more structural now, they're kicking a lot well, but I think also what's going to help Fiji tell is that Potutu was dreadful yesterday. They're saying dreadful, 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 dreadful. If he plays like that, England could hurt Fiji, but yeah, I think. The last two weeks weekends have not been good for Fiji, and I think the biggest thing now is getting guys back involved. But or my other theory is Fiji was is trying to do their utmost best to have the underdog tag again. I think they tried to take a leaf out of the Springboks um, the Springbok <laughs> notebook and just like we don't want to be favorites, we'd like to be underdogs. So either either that or if that's the plan, then they've they've done it very very well. You know, a few injuries here and there, but I do feel like Tyler like. I think Fiji. I, just, I genuinely think they cannot play any worse than they played yesterday. Um, and I think mm. if if everyone is fit, I think they still give England. Run, uh, I still think they can beat England. But yeah, hopefully they they find a way to to find that Fiji who they were that first two week two weeks of the World Cup. You know, um, very interesting that you that you mentioned. I kind of slipped my mind at how many chances Portugal actually did have in that first half. It was. It was crazy. I just kept looking at uh, watching the game and just thinking they really have to start capitalizing soon because as we know, like they're probably not going to be able to hold on the full 80. How wrong was I? But the, do you know, it's interesting, like Nike Levu, who is injured, I honestly thought that he, he stayed on because Fiji were probably in doubt of losing that game and, and not making the quarters. I, I, they're just the way of how he went down and everything and them strapping him up. I have a funny feeling that he basically, I think that he just pushed himself because that was like 
you've you've got to be in it to make the quarterfinals. I was we won't even be here next week. So it will be interesting to see what happens in that injury report. But yeah, it was your Portugal were amazing. Now that I think back and realizes that, that that opening half an hour was wild. Yeah, the best three three at halftime game you'll probably watch was was that. Yeah, I think it will. I mean, we'll talk. We'll reflect on the group stages, but that's probably a, a good pick for game of the tournament. Okay, so let's go through the other games. Um, we'll start with, or we'll go next to the England versus Samoa game. Um, yeah, in England winning, sneaking that one, 18 points to 17. Really good start. Um, oh, England had a pretty good start with uh, leading 8-0. Samoa came back, probably playing the, 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 the game that we thought they would play um, throughout the tournament, and they actually started to come back there. And then in, uh, Samoa's a bit unlucky. England also just was able to came, come back and, and to, 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 to deliver the skills to, to win it. But Sean, I think pretty much everyone is talking about the, the, the Samoa try that wasn't near the end. And yeah, I think you can take us through that because yeah, there's been <laughs> a lot of misinformation on Twitter, um, which is probably a normal day on Twitter. But yeah, there's been a lot of, I think, misinformed um, opinions about what happened there with that um, try that was disallowed. Yeah. You know, it's the thing about about rugby fans when it's a neutral game. Like there's there's a lot of hypocrisy. Like a lot of guys want the games to be refereed under the laws, but then when Samoa d- don't get given a try against England, they're like, "No, this is bullshit. Samoa should have got it." So that's that's the frustrating thing is like people are happy to kind of like, well, you know, it doesn't really matter. It was against England and it was Samoa, so we sh- totally should have allowed it. And the other thing is just is just ignorance. Like there are a lot of people, like there were ex-international um, like, test players that are coming out saying that's, that, that is, they've never seen that what's going on. So the truth is, is that the way the officials went by and went through everything was absolutely within which in the parameters of how they're supposed to manage it um since the beginning of last season 2022 world rugby um implemented that the officials have until the restart to go back and have a look at the try and then sort it out and again like this whole thing is happening because it was samoa against england and that's how i saw it you know when, when Farrell got nailed for the shot clock, everyone was celebrating because that's within the laws, but it was England. When Samoa had a try to Salad, it was against England. They were like, no, this is bullshit. So the whole thing is like, I, I want to look back as to how, why these laws were changed in the first place. So everything that happened with the TMO that came into play was that the TMO and the referee have until the um, conversion is taken to overview the try and the try scoring and the build-up, et cetera, et cetera. But then every single fan has been screwed over by someone taking a quick like drop goal to convert or a quick conversion to try and stop the officials looking back. So World Rugby went and said, cool, in the interest of speeding up the game and all that, you guys go ahead and play your game, convert it and everything. It gives the TMO enough time. I'm sure they worked out how many seconds like it generally takes. I mean, it's over a minute. We know that. So it gave them enough time and then to get the right decision. So this really, it just stinks of people wanting double standards, you know? And yeah, it sucks, you know? It sucks that it happened. 
Um, it happened like we'd all have loved Samoa to do it. We we all pretty confident that that would have changed the the outcome of the game. Um, you know, like England winning eighteen seventeen and Samoa having that try rubbed off. Like I mean, obviously the game changes later on if if they got that try, but you kind of think that that, that was England there for the taking, and I think that's what people are upset. But we kind of really need to distinguish between, you know, what's right and what you don't like. <laughs> I think that's probably the best way. No, I think you nailed it there, Sean. And especially if people watch football, there was a big controversy in the Liverpool-Tottenham game last week. And the issue there was because the game was kicked off and there was a wrong decision made by VAR, um, then VAR couldn't overturn that decision once the, the, the play continued. And then obviously there's a error there because there was a goal that was incorrectly disallowed. So this rule was pretty much, like you said, Sean, was bought so that people bought in so that people don't take quick cheeky conversions. That used to happen a lot in Super Rugby, especially um, cheeky conversions in order to ensure that there isn't a proper review of a try. So this, yeah, it's it's clearly people obviously wanting a particular result and that will always color your opinion on how you see um, a, a decision being made. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, and the thing is, I don't, I don't have an issue if people just say straight up, like that sucks. Don't tell me that it was the wrong decision. Cause it wasn't, it was the right decision. But I was chatting to Jared earlier in today and he brought up something great. Cause he actually spoke to me and said, did I watch the football? And I mean, for anyone who knows me, the answer is no, I don't, I don't watch a lot of it, but he said to me, cause I was always, I always said, you know, the one thing I love about rugby is that continuously trying to better themselves like world rugby are continuously changing things at whether it's good or bad is a different story but they're continuously trying to change things up to make the game better or faster etc and that is the one thing i'll always give world rugby like they're constantly changing the laws adjusting this adjusting that but what jared brought up and i can't comment on it but he said to me the one thing that rugby have absolutely nailed is the communication between the referee the ar and the tmo and the terminology they use has been excellent. Like the way that they go through it, like they're very clinical on the wording they use and how they go, they go through their steps and everything. And he said with that VAR debacle was, it was a very casual, probably not very professional look at things. So there's that. I, I don't know. I didn't watch, so I don't really know. But I mean, that's, if that's the, the case and Jared mentioning it, I mean, he's very seldom wrong. You know, that's, a, that's another great plus point um, in, in rugby's favor. Crooks, you can not answer this if you don't want to, but should we have another Ford and Farrell debate again? <laughs> because <laughs> people are losing their brains about that, obviously, once again. Before that, Talal, it's time for me to, to gloat a little bit. Before the World Cup started, I said England is going to Oh, win yes. Four, oh, I'm so sorry. Brooks, do not take away can I you. give you the, the proper I introduction for this? Please, Tyler, I could, Tyler, I can't believe you missed the boat here. Please do it, Tyler, before we can go to Okay, boat. so a few weeks ago, you know, the, the amazing Sam Roberts, myself and Cooks were on a podcast and making our predictions for the Rugby World Cup. And this was the time when England just lost to Fiji and they looked like they were, you know, if they played Bishops under 16, they'd lose. And Cooks was the one that stood against the wind, against the raging seas, and said, Munat, England's going to win all four of their group stage games. Sam and I pretty much laughed ourselves unconscious. And he said, no, there's, they, he even, I think, went as far as saying they're going to make the final. We'll see about that part. But 
he was probably the only one of the few, him and Joe Marler and Ellis Gange were probably the only people that believed that England will win all four <laughs> games in the pool. So Cooks, you are the rugby expert on rugby bits. You are the rugby and we are the bits. Please tell us, oh, why Sage? How did you get here? You know, the thing is, tell us sometimes, you know, you know, while everyone's looking at England and just seeing the chaos, I saw a flicker at the end of the tunnel. I thought maybe it was a train coming towards me. No, it wasn't. It was hope. It was hope. Within the, 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 the mess and everyone's going, England's confused. I saw hope there. And they called me a madman. They did. They did. They called me a madman. I think maybe because I was in England at the time when they lost to Fiji. I saw the people's despair on hand. I sat there and I was like, these guys, these people, they're going to be okay. Come the 8th of, was it, was it no, the 8th of October, these people will be okay because they'll be in a quarterfinal and they've won all four games. Look at them now, smiling, happy. Will it be pretty? No. <laughs> will it be effective? Yes. But they're there now. And I saw it. And now I'm gloating until whatever happens now, I'm, I'm playing with house money with England now. That's, that, they should send me back over there. <laughs> Because I knew it was gonna be pretty, and I was and and shame, and they, and they rode the wave on on the weekend. But uh, like you said, <laughs> get to Ford and Farrell. The thing is, for me with England, the funny thing is, if they do say like I predicted for them to make the final, they're gonna stumble their way there. Like it's, it's not gonna be pretty. <laughs> <laughs> you are milking this. You are milking this for all it's worth, it's and I love be, it. So, this uh, is why we are here for this. The nice thing with I think I think. With England, I think it was also a lot more good Samoa than bad England. I think Samoa there was they were due a game where they actually where they where they where they rocked up and and, and Samoa were very very good and, and they, yeah probably should have won it. I think England's probably talking about the referees and TMOs. I think England's tried this a lot was was a lot worse than the feed, the Samoa one. There was just a lot. England's was but we're not allowed to say that because it's England. But um, I think the forward. I, I still think you've got to. I'll still have Farrell probably starting. I think I think I'll probably have Farrell at ten. I think I then four to close out games. I know Ford obviously has been incredible tournament, but I think I think Borthwick sort of this week also shifted away from the normal plan he's had and the rugby he's been playing. So I think I wouldn't be surprised if he probably goes to, he goes to Farrell at ten and Ford at the bench and he goes back to the the boring old rugby that that's worked for him so far. I think um, he got excited because they scored all their trials of the tournament against against Chile and then he thought he could try to score more and I was like, no, Steve Bordick. Steve Bordick didn't understand my plan that I put that, that I sent him an email. Like, there's no need for us to be flashy. Just get four wins and, and let's get out of here. But then he tried, he, he tried to do too much. He tried to do too much but now he's going to go back to, to plan A. And if, all I'm saying is, guys, if you're going to get to the final, you will not hear the end of it from me. I will be gloating for literally, I'm going to be the Ben Smith of gloaters. For four years, you'll not be, I'll be, you'll be sick of me. I'll just be, yeah, this is everything that I say. Yes, he cooks. There's no, I don't, I, I just want to like underline that statement you made, like underline and bold it. It is 100% Farrell starts at 10 or Ford starts at 10. There's no both of them being on the pitch. Like if there's an injury and you need to make a plan, you can. But one is 10 and one is 23. There's no ways, there's no ways that England go back to this Ford Farrell 10, 12 if they're serious. And I, it worked in the past, but it's not working now. And what I feel happens is England are missing that Tui Luggy or that Lawrence Grunt 12. Farrell doesn't have it. Farrell's distributing. He's not carrying as much as he should. And I, I agree 
but I'm slightly biased because I'm a massive Owen Farrell fan, but Owen Farrell's got to start for me. And it's tough on Ford, but Farrell, Farrell, his passes and the way he plays and everything is, is incredible. But it's really hard to differentiate between the two at the moment because Ford is really much in form. The other thing that I want to pick a fight about is that double movement was, was definitely a double movement for me. Um, funny thing, um, when Jared and I were chatting earlier, he, he agreed with you. He was like, you know, that was definitely a try. But there, there's one, just one little bit of, and it's a technicality and it's really, really small, but there's one little bit that, that happened with that try. <clears throat> Excuse me. He, he propels himself forward with his knee. It might have been an inch, but he uses his knees before he places. And that second movement, like that has been clear cut for Yonks. You, knew, you use your knees to propel yourself forward. It's a, it's a second movement. That's not placing in one motion, but it was very, very, very small. And I think if you watch it in, in full time, in full speed, it probably would change your opinion. But he clearly, he clearly goes onto his knees for me. I think, yeah, I mean, it's a very technical thing. I think it's one of those things where you, you've seen a lot of those um, tries given. And like you said, it's a, if you're going to, there are reasons you can see why you said, but I think it's for me like the, the Samoan one was was a clear was, was knock on. Like, there's nothing to debate. Just obviously people just like obviously were just saying when it when it happened and small things with the law. But yeah, I think but to double down on your Sean, like I think England going forward. I think even Samoa. I think Samoa will be kicking themselves because I think Samoa they had a great chance to make a semi uh, quarter final because. They were a buffet performance away from beating Argentina, and they should have beaten Argentina because Argentina basically decided the World Cup started yesterday on Sunday when, when you know, yesterday against Japan. That's when the World Cup started. So, so basically, Argentina tried their has very it best. Not, yeah, I, I think it has. I, I think eventually it started for them, but I think Samoa had opportunities <laughs> and chances to win the game. You look at the loss against Japan as well. I thought, so they, they they did have opportunities and they did rock up. And I think for England, I think it's, I think people also sometimes. We, 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 just because Sayer Samoa had a good game, we kind of underestimate that position. For example, I think with England, sometimes teams do have bad days and you just got to rather get that performance out the way right now, win, and then get yourself ready for a quarterfinal. It does put you in good stead. Like, for example, you look at the box against Tonga. We won great, but we, we did what we needed to do, get the bonus point. doesn't always have to be flashy all the time. I think sometimes we, we quickly jump to conclusions. I think with England, they've shown enough in this World Cup of how good they can be as opposed and how, how good they can be. And yes, playing rugby is dull and boring as anything, but we've, we've, we're defending champions. You prove that that can work. Um, so I think it's a box tick for England and then they get, get themselves ready for Fiji. Yeah. So let's move on now. We will hopefully, We'll hopefully record a few podcasts this week also, pre- previewing sorry, the quarterfinals. Sorry, Taylor. Also, the real, the real winner is the fact that the quarterfinals are not England and Wales. That's what we should be celebrating. That's what we should Ooh, celebrate. Hallelujah. That's what we should be thrilled for. I, just, <laughs> I know we're moving on, but I just want to say two things. Loose trio of McFarlane, Fritz Lee, and Steve Leutour is deadly, and I can't wait to see it again. Yeah. And Lima Sopoaga or Lim Sapoga, as World Rugby put it on their, on their socials, <laughs> was, <laughs> was incredible. I thought Lima Sapoaga was outstanding. So, yeah, I tell you that, that Lustria and, and Lim were outstanding. Incredible. Yeah, you'll see them again in 2027, Sean, unfortunately. Um, no, let's, go to, 
Let's go to Ireland versus Scotland. So this was the game that had cooks fighting people in um, nice little bars in Clevecha on Saturday. And uh, cooks, I actually just want to ask you to tell me what all the rugby takes were from your friends. No, the whole week obviously has the, it was the my friend was convincing me, and I love Scotland. You know how much I love Scotland. They were convincing me that that um, Scotland was going to win, and that Ireland obviously. They peaked against the Springboks, so they can't. They then can't have dual good performances back to back. I mean, what, they only won sixteen games straight. But well, the I mean, team that won seventeen in a yeah, row. Yeah, yeah, they, they couldn't do it back to back. So I was like, um, and then it was Scotland having fired a shot here the tournament and doing it against Ireland, and Ireland maybe could be fatigued from for all they starters playing. I mean, the, I mean, I mean, Ireland is only coming off a bye, but I mean, so there's all the takes I had to listen to, and it just. Drove me insane because because for me, all those permutations going out and I've got a thousand rugby groups of mates are sending me uh, before the game people were walking me through like if Scotland wins by eight points I'm like guys I don't look at the shit because Scotland's not gonna win today I don't care what perm- the permutations are so like can we just get ready can you mentally prepare yourself for France and we, it makes your life a lot easier at 26 0 well, at a one make I was like yes. I guess I can still see Alan bottling this from here. I'm like, I don't know what, I don't want to do with you anymore. What? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what game you're watching here. But um, yeah, it was a, it was a big weekend of, uh, of debates and clips. Oh, goodness. Not Alan bottling it from 26 0 up. Yeah, look, well, we'll talk about it in the, in the preview. But anyway, just talking about this particular game, Sean, I mean, yeah, Ireland had that early try. Scotland didn't take their points and tried to get a try of their own. I think they almost got sucked in and were playing the scoreboard instead of playing the situation. Didn't get points. Ireland said bet, and they got a bonus point from uh, before half time. Like, uh, I mean, yeah, there's a few injury worries, but we'll hopefully see later this week if any of them are serious. But pretty much the perfect night in the office for 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 Ireland, and it continues Jonathan Sexton's run against Scottish teams to 25 wins in a row against Scotland. Um, Glasgow and Edinburgh. Wow. It was, I, I tell you, to take something from you, there's so, there are so many fraud watches being handed out now. Scotland as a team are under fraud watch. Gregor Townsend's at fraud watch. Finn Russell's at fraud watch. And Huey Pilotti's at fraud watch. It's been, it's been quite weird. Like, I didn't expect Scotland not to fire a shot at the World Cup. This is the most attacking side they've ever had. Um, you know, before the World Cup, we we're probably saying it's the best side they ever had. They only scored points in the 64th minute. They were manhandled. And I I know, you see, I'm slightly biased in, in this. Like, I would have started Carl Stein ahead of, um, ahead of, uh, what's his face? I'm messing this up. Ahead of Darcy Graham. Darcy Graham. Yeah, because I thought, the way that Ireland defend and 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 how and the big boys that got on the wing, that Stan would be the better shot because he likes to be in your face. It's okay if he's in your face. Darcy Graham, he needs space. And I was worried that he wasn't gonna get it. And flip, he didn't get shit. Like he got nothing. John Funamava got nothing. So Ireland basically, I think they probably studied a the way the Springboks managed them, or obviously not necessarily took it everything that we did, but we gave their wings no ball. No ball. Their, their wings got no ball first phase anywhere. Like once or twice in the game they got. And yeah, they were absolutely manhandled. Very interesting 
Jameson Gibson, Gibson Park's cooking at the moment, but you know he had to go onto the wing. Gary Ringrose went onto the wing at one stage. Um, I think Ireland have found their next fly half um, quite comfortably in Jack Crowley. <laughs> Uh, uh, that's pretty much how it's going to be moving forward in in my world. Uh, they'd be silly not to. He's very comfortable there. Um, you know, he's got a great foundation to work with. He's got a great platform with all the players and the squad at the moment. So it looks like he's going to be like the guy moving forward. Um, but yeah, Scotland. Yes, imagine. I feel for them because like they went into this World Cup with very high hopes. Um, even though they were in the group that they were in. But man, they got they got obliterated, eh? Yeah, and I think what sort of frustrates me as a rugby fan, I'm sure it frustrates Scottish fans, is they didn't really throw a punch. Maybe the first half in the South Africa game, they were obviously very competitive. Not one. Like, they didn't throw one they, punch. Yeah, I mean... It was maybe only the first half against the box where they were like, okay, this is really competitive. They got themselves in the game. But... It just was almost like the same old Scotland, the naive game plan and trying to play too much. Um, Finn Russell is carrying way too much. Like, I mean, yeah, he's trying to do too much, I think, himself. I mean, when you look at the the, the number of carries in, in this game, it's two below to 20 first and then Finn Russell 15. Like, there's something wrong there if, if that happens. And... The kicking, I mean, they only kicked 17 times in the game on Saturday. That's way too little. And they did the same thing as the box as well. So it's just those little naive things. And yeah, like you said, there's maybe a few fraud watch awards that we can throw out there. And I think the big question and the big concern from at least the Gregor Townsend point of view is, I mean, if unless it's France who pretty much gets sucked into trying to play open rugby against Scotland and that puts them in more under more pressure, like, what's Scotland's plan to actually get to the next step? I mean, I think Townsend should be at least given the chance to try and, and, and to figure that out. But, you know, it seems like other te- the, 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 the real elite teams, like, they will see, obviously, all the game breakers that Scotland have and just choose to make them play from deep and try to close off Finn Russell's options because they know he's going to try to do things himself. So... It's quite a simple way of beating them, which I think is, is the big disappointment there, unfortunately. I'll tell you the big disappointment is, Tyler. It's Gregor Townsend. I've said this for years and years and years and years. Because like how do you build a game plan, come into the World Cup, become a standing against France, mixing, kicking, carrying, great balance in the game plan. And then you decide when you get to the World Cup and the World Cup starts, we're just not going to kick anymore. We're going to not take shots at goal. Because at the end of the day, like, it's not like, especially in the weekend, it was so weird when they going, kept going for the corner and taking the poison offer. They, all they had to do was win by eight points. Not get a bonus point win, win by eight points, and they threw, and Ireland's got Ireland's out. But you would think they needed to, they, they needed to score 40 points to, to qualify and then got shot in the foot and Ireland just picked them off. It, it's, it's, we, can, we can load up the pod after, we can actually load up every rugby bits pod the week after they've played England and they've lost someone and, we can say the exact same thing about them. Bloody bastards. Piss me off those guys. Just every time they give me hope. Every time I give me hope. It's them and flipping Edinburgh. I'm sick and tired of those two teams. Dying with those two. And, and those stupid dragons we're going to deal with now in, in a couple of weeks' time. I can't believe the dragons have just taken friendly fire yet again. 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 I thought we were done with this. I mean, the last, no. the last time that you were taking shots at just random, like, 
random innocence was Munster. But now you've gone back to default, which is having a go. I mean, like you were in a whole other country and then you went back to hit dragons. Like No, a URC advert just popped up on my TV screen, like is in the background there. My <laughs> message is watching the TV. So like she's like sitting back and you are sitting popped up. I was like, oh here we go again with those guys. Talking about URC, Warwick Lunt in training, man, is cooking, he's 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 destroying socials as well, loving it. Mm. Cooking in the podcast game as well. I think he's almost a regular now in that behind the rug podcast with um Diong and Paige. So what a great, he's, he's what a great a pod. He's, yeah, he's yeah, that's a fantastic pod. You should definitely listen to it. But yeah, Khalant, you can see this guy's preparing for a big season. Yeah, we we all know Khalant has lined up all of his imaginary haters and is going to try to disprove each and every one of them. <laughs> yeah, look, Ireland. I mean, we'll talk about it more during the week, but just such a strong defensive um, team as well. I think that gets underrated in obviously how good they are on attack and the shapes and patterns that they can throw. But if you're going to beat Ireland, I think you have to be near perfect because I don't think, there's not the Ireland of old that's going to, I hope they don't disprove me by Saturday, but I don't think Ireland's going to lose a game. It's someone has to take it and win. And the main thing that you have to do is to find a way to stop Thunder Flair and Doris from, like ruining every ruck and um, tackle area that they can. I just want to say, Tyler, to people, and you know, we've got our tweets and our dirt trackers, and a lot of people are obviously waiting for Ireland to to fall apart because of the World Cup. Guys, Ireland's a very good rugby team. Like, somehow people need to stop believing this. Like, I don't know what more they need to do to prove. Like, they might get to the final and be like, you know what, guys, there's something about Ireland I don't trust. I think this is the time. I'm like, like, I don't understand. Like, Ireland, like, Ireland is a very, very good rugby side. And the way they won on Saturday compared to the way they won against the Springboks is two different styles. There's not many teams, that's many, many teams that can do that, they can win in two different ways. And I think it just shows that they're not, they're not just a one-track team and they play the same way. They're, like Anna Joe Schmidt, for example, they're just big on possession and just came around the corner and then, when you stop that, there are no other ways of winning where these guys, they have different ways of winning. And I do agree with Andy Farrell. He says that they actually haven't been at their absolute best yet. They can get better. And I agree with him with that because they haven't put together the, the all out and out perfect performance yet. Against the box, they went down to the gutter. Lionel wasn't functioning. Raxby got double, played well. They defended well against Scotland and just took opportunities. They haven't had a game, like, for example, where their attack is clicking with all cylinders. With all cylinders, and they just sort of, and, and they just sort of just look like the Ireland Old, where the attack is just all smooth and transition. I mean, we can't count the games against uh, Romania because um, the Hamiltons have probably beat, put forty points in Romania at the stage. So, um, and then I just think with Ireland, they are growing and they are getting better. And and I think the scary thing, and I, and I put this on Twitter, is that Ireland are in, are in a boat of where they can either pull their probably their biggest choke job coming World Cup time because. This is the best Ireland team they've ever had. Better than all the other sides. I mean, losing a quarterfinal because they're definitely the favourites to beat the All Blacks. I think the, the All Blacks need to put an absolute all-time performance to beat this Ireland side. They have to be as good as they were in that, against us in the Mount Smart in their first 20 minutes and as good as they were in their first 15 minutes against Italy to, to beat this Ireland side. But that could for, for 80 minutes to beat this Ireland side. Because I think Ireland, they have a chance of being putting on an all-time choke job and losing the quarterfinals and then and dealing with all this or 
if they actually do end up winning this tournament, they could put themselves in the conversation of greatest teams of all time because I mean, they break, they'll break their record of most wins in a row. You look at their run in the two years, like that's what's at stake here for Ireland. I mean, it's I'm, obviously I would love for the Springboks to knock them off, but this is a very, 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 very good rugby side and a side that's actually peaking at the right time. And for them, obviously the All Blacks have definitely given them a chance to beat them. But I think the All Blacks are going to put in absolute all-timer, like a 2015 against France quarterfinal all-time performance to beat this Irish side. I, if the All Blacks do what you say they're going to do to beat Ireland, I think is the worst thing that could happen to anyone else wanting the World Cup this year. The last thing we need is the All Blacks to get a big win and get, get their belief back. I would rather... I would rather we face Ireland in in the final, um, knowing that we can beat them and they haven't been beaten yet and haven't really shown like maybe used to beat their weaknesses. Where a New Zealand side to do what you say they're going to do would be, I I would be shit scared of them. Yeah, I'm sure we're going to delve into all of these talking points um, during the course of the week. So next one is Japan versus Argentina. Um, actually made a mistake, should have been the second one we talked about because this was also an entertaining game um, of the weekend. And it was the great ding-dong battle between the two sides. It was effectively an elimination game with both teams level on points and it was whoever won the game would go through. And Argentina finally arrived to this World Cup and finally, I think this weekend was the weekend that Paul D decided to lift up their socks and to actually produce good games. Um, but yeah, great performances from, you know, Mateo Carreras, Santi Trigobares with his great try at the start. Um, the try from um, the Japanese lock, um, Fakatava, was ridiculous. And yeah, the, the, there's just, yeah, I think it was just a great game that showcased the, the, the attacking talents of both teams. Sean, yeah, I think... If this Argentina team played from the England game, I think we'd be all saying they're probably the the one team we'd be looking at as possibly breaking through to the final from that side of the draw. But yeah, at least they, they arrived at some stage. Yeah, and I want to apologize because <laughs> in the weekend preview, I said Japan were just basically going to be shit. Um, and they yeah, they were <laughs> in with the shot for a long, sure, a just, long way. Just leave the previews to the experts, okay? Let the, let the experts do the previews, okay? <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> yeah, if only you had warned me, mate. So, yeah, it was, there were some great tries. That was the one thing, like, there were tries. It was a tight game. It was basically a knockout game. Well, it was a knockout game, and there were tries. Matteo Carreras is, oh, he's a machine. Chocobares, I, I, I quite like him. Um, and I love him at 12. I know he's played 13 a bit. But what I didn't realize is what an absolute beast he is. That guy, that guy's not afraid of a gym session. Him and Jesse must be like tight. But yeah, it was a great try. It was, it was shitty defense. And then he still went on to finish it and finish it well. But yeah, Argentina, I think they were, they were scared in the game. And then they went on to win and win well. But I think Chakes and the players will know the reality of how close they were to going out. Um, but yeah, that is it. Like one game, too. Like, is it one game too late that they started getting back in the mix? Um, you know, are they going to be able to be competitive in 
in in the quarters. Um, they do like a World Cup and a quarterfinal, so hopefully, uh, hopefully so. But yeah, I flip. I was impressed with Japan, and it was a great Test match. Cooks, but on the bad side, or the the bad news though, is Pablo Matera's torn his hamstring, and he's out for the rest of the tournament. Yeah, it's tough to see Argentina putting pulling off the big performance that they need without you know one of their probably yeah one of the one of their world class players in the uh, not in the team. It is tough, but I I, I still think Argentina got uh, probably several gears to still get to. So even without Matera, I think Matera's obviously a massive massive loss. Um, um, so I think that that that's probably the last person they need to lose. But I do think Argentina can still have got gears to get up to. That's why I think and also I think Wales for them will be could could potentially be a good matchup because Wales also I've got this weird thing of sometimes of just deciding to get into shootouts with for for, for random reasons. With like I remember when they played Fiji, like you you think they're going to Warren ball Fiji out the park, but no, they wanted to throw the ball around as much as Fiji did. Hence Dan Bigger losing his mind. Um, but I, I do think um, that I think it's a good matchup for Argentina. I think the Wales Argentina game is it's it's I think it's when we speak about the we speak about the New Zealand All Blacks. I mean the All Blacks Ireland is slightly favoured, slightly favouring probably Ireland, and then you look at France, the Springboks. You could probably lean towards France at home. But I think Wales and Argentina is a full-on 50-50. It's definitely a pick game because I think both sides can feel that they have a chance to go through. And I think Argentina, like I said, Taylor, we've always said that I think they eventually decided to realize the World Cup has started. And um, and this was Chica's plan all along just to basically just cruise mode through and then sort of find a way to get to the final, to the quarters. But I definitely think um, Argentina have got a lot more gears to go. And I think... I still think they've got a big performance in them, and, and um, they tend to do well in European quarterfinals. So they've got a good record there. So I think in Wales, it's it's going to be a good game. But I, I, I'm backing Argentina to to put in a good performance this weekend, and or even or do it for Matera. They always they also they also always need a reason to cry. So they might use Matera's injury as another added reason for them to cry during the during the national anthem. Oh goodness. Yeah, um, yeah, you can see Lavanini crying for like the fiftieth time he's played a test match, and yeah, we know that if and when Lavanini cries um, before a test match, <laughs> it could end one of two ways: a great performance or a red card. So yeah, I'm sure we'll have a lot more to say about this match later this week. It it's shaping up. Yeah, Cooks, you're right. I think Wales can sometimes get sucked into. Um, throwing the ball around, but this if Wales stays disciplined, it's basically a high possession team. I think Argentina has the highest possession out of all the teams in the World Cup so far versus Wales just kicking to you and parking the bus. So it's going to be an interesting matchup. And Wales, I mean, just quickly talking about them, they won against Georgia 43-19. It was also looking a bit um, dodgy at a, at a time because I think it was 22-19 um, to Wales because Georgia came back with two quick tries. Ninash really scoring a fantastic try where he just absolutely hands off um, Gareth Davies, who's also um, with Chukabares and Creel been in the gym the past few months. He just throws him off and scores a brilliant try. And yeah, I think some Welsh players had some flashbacks to November, but yeah, they 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 came through at the end. But they lose Taulupe Falatau, um for the quarterfinal or for the rest of the tournament. He's broken his arm. So it seems like both teams are mashed up now with losing two talismanic leaders. Sean, yeah, um, I don't know if you have too many thoughts about the Georgia game, but yeah, Faletau not being in the team is also a massive blow. Huge, 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 huge for them. And 
they've replaced uh, him in the squad um, with the scrum off. So they're obviously mm. going to be moving a couple guys around. But yeah, I think it's massive. I think one thing that Argentina are going to have to watch out for, um, and it's going to be a great battle, but I think the midfield is going to be huge. I think Nick Tompkins has had a great season so far. Got great video of him dining a pint after the game. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's been really, really good at 12 and he's been linking and connecting really well with George North. You kind of you kind of take your eyes off Tompkins because North is there and then he's still got a very strong carry in him and he he does very he does amazing post contact work for a little guy. So yeah, the other is Liam Williams. He's yo, oh, I'm loving him at the moment. He's he's cooking and he doesn't give a shit about anyone. It looks like he just wants to jaw and if you're in my way, screw you. Yeah, big games to look forward to on, on the weekend. Um, let's move to the <laughs> to the pool A side of the draw. I mean, to you know, Pool A's basically played all their games on Thursdays and Fridays. So I think people just forget about them <laughs> by the time the weekend is over. But we started the weekend with New Zealand beating Uruguay 73 points to nil, um, with probably yeah, one of the best tries you'll see from David Mc, um, David Damien McKenzie um, tapping that ball in for Will Jordan, and then France um, beats Italy sixty points to seven, and <laughs> shows that maybe New Zealand shouldn't be rated too much from that performance against Italy, and yeah, maybe they're just in a really bad moment right now. But yeah, I think we can talk about these two teams um, together. Um, Cooks, I'll start with you. Um, I don't think there's too much we can learn from this game apart from France is definitely locked in and, you know, Luku and Jalibert can, can at least do a job at 9 and 10. But yeah, those two teams are very much locked and loaded for the quarterfinals. Yeah, I think I think I mean, both those sides, I think barring the old scare Uruguay gave France in the second game, they've been, they've been, they've been locked in. I mean, the All Blacks, I mean, it's been business as normal since... Um, them losing to France and France the same as well. I think nothing changed much. Um, um, nothing changed much for them um, in, the, in the last two weekend. I mean, one thing the All Blacks. I must. I must commend them. My mates and I were speaking about this. The All Blacks don't give these minor sides any any sniff of a chance. I mean, they bury these. Like it's rare for them to lose to get upset. Like maybe like us. We lost. We lost to Japan or you know like you know like. like Australia, they've lost the lose like a Fiji or something, a Fiji or something like that. Whereas the All Blacks will bury you and shame. I mean, Italy and Uruguay have felt felt the wrath of that. And I think, but the thing with with France and with France and the All Blacks, I think it was business as usual. Um, so yeah, I think I think it's going to be exciting to see them play in a weekend because obviously Pool A has been Thursday and um, Thursday and Friday. Which is the only time you should actually have tests on a Thursday is during a World Cup, not during a rugby championship when <laughs> people are ex- only expecting to watch international rugby that weekend. Not that's when you have games on a Thursday because we have a full weekend of rugby games. Not when there's two games a weekend in this tournament and you decide they want on Thursday. <laughs> that's why right now the Wallabies are at home and other teams are carrying on playing in a World Cup. Case closed. That's all I want to say about oh. that. Can we actually talk about how Wallabies gamed the system perfectly? Because you're only knocked, you know, you're only asked to leave your um your hotel in the World Cup when you are officially out of the tournament. So Australia actually gamed this perfectly because the likes of Namibia and Chile had to leave last week when their games ended. Australia's games ended also last week, but they could stay a week because they were still 
in inverted commas, in contention of still making it into the quarterfinals. So I hope they had the best week. I mean, I think, Sean, we were trying to set out the, the itinerary for the week. I hope they had the best week seeing all the sights and sounds of France, like wine tour, like drank so much wine, had so much fun, invited their families and friends and everything because... I'm sure even the Wallabies were supporting Fiji and just didn't want to play a game this week and, you know, have to be coached by Eddie Jones and his rugby league um, friends for another week. Like, Australia actually did this well. Like, if you want to have the best experience in the World Cup, have the last game off and just make sure you're still in contention so you can actually have a free week in France without having to worry about coming back to training. Like, they did this perfectly. I think other teams should follow suit. I agree 100%. What would have been stressful for them is how, how close they were to actually making the quarterfinals. <laughs> I mean, it's the hope that kills you, right? I mean, they would have had a chilled <laughs> week. They would have packed their bags. They would have made plans to, to, to have a braai um, on, on like Wednesday or Thursday when they get home, meet up with family or whatever, you know. And there they are watching the game last night. Were they watching it? I don't know. I bet you a couple weren't. Um, watching the game last night kind of like half on their phone waiting to cancel plans because <laughs> because they're staying in France for an extra week I mean there was a real real chance that Fiji were going to get knocked out of the quarterfinals yeah that whatsapp group must have been going crazy when people realized oh there's actually a chance that Fiji might 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 blow this um yeah Cook says definitely you know put that curse out from 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 the start of that Thursday match to Australia. Sean, yeah, I think especially with France, like, you know, we'll obviously talk a lot about them during the course of the week because they're facing the Springboks on, on Sunday. But I think what impressed me the most about France in that performance was, you know, they knew Italy would try to, you know, come back and obviously give a lot more effort than they did the last week. And they knew also that they didn't have the best match against Italy in the Six Nations earlier this year, but they were so almost businesslike in just putting them away. Like they sort of saw what, you know, trying of, of uh, like all the talk about Italy and maybe Italy could sneak through and whatever. And they just said, no, that's not happening. And, you know, I think the likes of Aldrit and Olivon and uh, Jalibe had a good game. Peno, guys, we need to talk about Peno. He's on an attacking tear right now i think he's i think there's an argument that he's probably one he's probably a front runner for player of the tournament so far like he's been fantastic but yeah i was just so impressed by how business like france was in putting italy away yeah both both france and new zealand it it's very much been like stepping stones after the opening game because they knew they weren't really in inverted commas going to be going to be tested um obviously italy wanted to test them but they've really gone and and decimated the opposition France were, it was, it was what you said, it was just business as usual. They were like, we have a plan today and we will execute it. There's a lot of guys there that are also um, like, were forced their way into the starting lineup. Um, Bill Barry is one of them. Looks like he's the starting wing now. I, I, don't, I don't see Villiers starting ahead of him right now, but I mean, either one starts, it's dangerous. But yeah, it was, I was, I expected France and the All Blacks to really like, put the hammer down just to be competitive for the quarterfinals because it was that discussion of them coming in undercooked. And I think both of them really expected Italy to put up more of a fight. For me, 
Italy, like Scotland, had had their best World Cup side in years. And they also didn't fire a shot. It was, they wanted more. They must be absolutely gutted, man. Absolutely gutted. Like, I feel more for the Italians than I, than I do for the Scots in a strange way because we really, you know, the back line they've got, the players they've got, we really expected a little bit more. And I think they did too. Credit to France and to the All Blacks for when they saw that Italy weren't at the races, that they didn't get sucked into the bullshit. They just really just stuck it to them, you know? Yeah, that's very true. And then finally, Sean, um, Tonga beats Romania 45 points to 24. It's good to also see Romania actually, you know, perform a little bit. But Tonga has played well. Man of the match, George Moala played well. And yeah, I think, Sean, you have some feelings about only seeing George Moala for one game in this World Cup. Well, his suspension was bullshit. Um, I thought it was yeah. too long. Um, but Flipman, he, he cooked. The- <laughs> Tonga have a midfield, they have midfield options of Peter Aki, George Moala, and Malachi Fekatoa. Like, let's just think about that for a second. And I've been watching George Moala when he's been playing in France recently, and I've been absolutely loving it. He he switches between 12 and 13 a lot. Um, Malachi Fekatoa did it quite a lot. Um, He did it actually for, um, for Munster just recently. And um, Peter Aki's also played at 13 a little bit, but they are, I, I don't know how much longer they, they have in international rugby and I don't know how many games Tonga have in the future, but they are flip. <laughs> They're out of this world. And George Moala, I'm just so glad that he got a World Cup game. I'm so glad that he was included in the squad. I mean, let's be honest, like that, that's, that's amazing. Um, like, for them to keep him in the squad, knowing that he's only going to be able to play one game. And I, I think that's awesome. It's an amazing gesture from, from like the coaches and, and the players and just everyone just having him there. He must have been chomping at the bit. And for him to come out and play that way, I think it's perfect. Um, big fan. And yeah, they, they are, he's, he's a great player. But, you know, other players, Ben, Big Ben, Tamiafuna. I mean, he went on a little bit of a charge. He's had an amazing tournament. William Havili has, for someone who's probably, I think he's predominantly a fullback. For, I, I, I must be honest, I haven't watched a lot, but I, I've heard that he's predominantly a fullback. He's played really well. Um, and then, obviously, Celeste Pieta, the artist formerly known as Charles, has been dominating too. He's been, flip, he's been world-class. This backline is just heat. So, yeah, I just hope we get to see more of them. Yeah, also Patrick Pellegrini. I mean, he plays for, I think, Coventry in the championship. And that try that he scored against the Springboks was that yeah, individual chip and chase for himself was fantastic. So he's hopefully got himself also into the world stage. Um, yeah, Tonga's also the team that scored the most points against um, South Africa and Ireland in this World Cup so far, Scotland. Or the, the, the opposite teams as well, which is a very interesting stat. Yeah, just they, oh man. I'm just bummed. Like, I'm bummed that we're not going to see more of them. And the same as Fiji, um, the same as Samoa. Like, we just want to watch the guys play more. Um, Portugal, you know, everyone, like, these guys are here, top stage. They've all put their hand up. Even Namibia put their hand up. Like, and that's the thing. And everyone's talking about it. But how are we going to make more of it? Also, it's not related to this game. 
but hats off to Rugby Europe, which is essentially the governing body of the Tier 2 Six Nations. This morning, they pushed out a tweet saying, what would you like to change in world rugby? I thought it was brilliant, <clears throat> excuse me, well-timed, especially after Portugal's win. Like, what, these guys, all these t- Tier 2 sides are basically going to be shut out until when? 2030? Like, we have to see more mm-hmm. of them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think that's definitely a, to- a big talking point from um, this World Cup. Okay, so I think that is all the games from this week. We're going to, I think now on this part of the pro- um, podcast program, spend some time on just reflecting on the group stages, some best and worst moments, best and worst teams, and all that sort of nice stuff. Quick, to start on the positives. Um, I think let's start with um, game of the tournament. I mean, the Fiji-Portugal one will be, I think, high in many people's lists. But yeah, what other games stood out for you? I think obviously, I mean, Fiji-Portugal, Portugal, Georgia. Um, I think those are those are massive games, amazing games to watch. Japan, Argentina was a good game. We we're treated this weekend to some really good games. But I think for me, it's, it's, I'm gonna go Ireland, South Africa. You know, one number one versus number two, absolutely bruising battle. Felt like a final. It was just you know, like I think whole of the rugby world looking contrast in styles. Just an epic 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 game and i think you look back as you you get two sides who are ranked one and two drawn in a group together that's what you want to see and i think the game lived up to the billing and um you know i think it's i mean like you get i mean games like for example like fiji wales also i mean the opening weekend that, that that was an absolute treat as well but when you get the two best sides in the world who are ranked one and two and they actually they actually live up to expectations and then some not even a high scoring game just Pure quality of rugby, physicality, brutal, um, with, with such great pieces of individual skill and brilliance there as well. So that for me, it's hard to look past that. Any other games you want to add there, Sean? I can't add, but number one, Springboks Island. Number two, um, probably last night's game, um, Portugal-Fiji. And number three would be Wales-Fiji. Um, for me, the three the three standout games of the tournament so far. Yeah, I would push for Georgia-Portugal being in that um, in that top three somewhere. Um, yeah, I think that was a fantastic game. And it was just, yeah, very high quality. Obviously, the stakes were quite high. It's two teams that know each other really well. It was awesome that they had this platform to play a good game. Um, yeah, but it, it looks like Pool C really did deliver because pretty much all of their games were had was were competitive near until near the end and they were all games of like really good um rugby in most parts. I think the only game that was a bit of a blowout was um Wales against Australia, funny enough. Um so yeah, I think pool of the tournament goes to pool C. It was really pool chaos um for for most of that for most that um for most of that time. Um Sean, let's go to I don't know if there's particular moments or or things that happened during the group stage that stood out for you. Let's see, yeah, what 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 things stand out for you from the last few weeks? Oh man, <laughs> totally hit a blank. Um, <laughs> the I think the moment, a couple of moments that really stood out for me was England against Argentina. Just from where England were to where they're going has been was a big moment, and 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 
like dovetailing on that would be how Argentina didn't seize the day. You know, um, they had an opportunity there and they just didn't, didn't come. So that was, a, that was a big moment. And I think it'll be a big moment in the tournament moving forward. Um, one of the others was, um, was Fiji and like the amazing ups and downs they've had this tournament. They've, uh, Wales and Australia were incredible games and, they, and their last two games were, were a little bit shaky. Um, another one would be Scotland and Italy for what we just mentioned earlier. Just they, they just didn't, they just didn't take a shot, and it's gonna, it's gonna burn players. It's gonna burn them. It's gonna burn them and give them sleepless nights, because we all, we literally all expected way more from them, and I'd hate to know what they expected and how they're feeling about it. Um, the other. A uh, nice moment is probably Wales and how they've just casually gone about their business. They they were under pressure against um, against Fiji in that opening game and managed to squeeze out a win fortuitously. But yeah, then just a couple of players like mostly for me has been a bunch of tier two players and like guys that have really just put their hand up, guys that are in conversations to be in the team of the tournament for the pool stages. Like, I mean, who would have thought of a, of a, of a tier two side having, you know, having a player that, that realistically and without any real banter can, can be playing and named in the, in, in the, in the side of the tournament for the pool stages. So yeah, there's been that. Um, I hope I didn't uh, take on too, too much there, but yeah, it's been great and I've loved it. And so far the world cup has lived up to what we expected. Like, we expected it to be the most mm. competitive, but we also expected it to be one of the best. And we've been surprised with some results um, for and against tier one sides and for and against tier two sides. Yeah, and I think that there's been a, a few um, standout moments there that you listed there, Sean. Um, yeah, I think also just seeing, I think this has been, even though some of the results haven't maybe been great, I think it's shown... What what this World Cup is, is it feels like it's the first World Cup where tier two teams are playing. Like it, there isn't like a, there isn't too many years of a gap if you can put it like that between the tier one and the tier two teams. It's like the tier two teams are also applying like you know, you know two 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 formations or one three three one formations. They're also trying to you know manipulate space like that. They also have a bit more of like a a refined kicking game like they. It's not just the same old mistakes that they're making. They really are playing a competitive level of rugby. I mean, apart from, I think, I guess, um, Namibia and, I guess, Romania, most of um, the, the players in each of the squads are professional rugby players that play week in, week out. I mean, they have great quality of coaches in the most part as well. So, yeah, I think this has been a good moment for Tier 2, especially in the context of, you know, World Rugby trying to get the World League through, well, maybe lesser World Rugby, but the Rugby Championship and Six Nations teams with no promotion or relegation. So, I mean, at least the one positive of the World League is that it um, assures, you know, teams like at least 10 internationals per year. But yeah, it it obviously takes away opportunities if there's no promotion or relegation from them playing tier one side. So, yeah, I hope this is the... Yeah, this is something that is picked up on and that, you know, World Rugby does refine their plans because, yeah, we need to see more of these these, these teams in, in the top level. You know, there's 
the two things that you mentioned that I, I want to highlight, I 100% agree with you. The tier two sides are playing a lot better and a lot more structured rugby. Like there's, you can see that they have plans. You can see that they're able to execute them. And the other thing, and <clears throat> I don't know this for fact, but I feel this is, I feel like a majority and way more than usual of the tier two sides are going deeper against tier one sides. They're going a lot longer in the game. They're, they're keeping guys out for 20, 30 minutes, or they're making the game competitive for, for 20, 30 minutes. We didn't see that in the past. And that is, that's huge. That's great for rugby. Um, you know, but just how are we going to keep the fire burning? I think it's the biggest question. Cooks, any moments that stood out for you? I think for me, it's, um, I remember this 2003 Rugby World Cup pool stage as the greatest display of forwards kicking a rugby ball, I think in World Cup history. I mean, from Jack Morgan setting the tone on week one with a, with a, a cross kick try assist, clear the ball with his left foot, chip and chase, and then obviously has a 22-22 against Australia. Then we had the try, the Japanese lock on the weekend, the try the tournament, chip and chase from a lock. It's incredible. Then obviously you've got the, 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 the hero, Mike Tauja, but there were so many forwards that kicked rugby ball during this World Cup. It was one of my favorite things, and I'm here for it. And I do understand, obviously, Mike Tauja, the, the greatest kick, but Jack Morgan, this is after Dan Biggers basically berated the Welsh team for not sticking to structure. What does my man do, the captain of the team, in the second <laughs> half? He kicks a cross kick track. <laughs> kick pass and gets us. I was like, you just didn't damn big a note. It's not his team anymore. Jack Morgan is the captain. But I think, yeah, fourth kick rugby ball. Um, obviously, our hero, what's his name? Kasper from New Zealand, Namibia, saying your master P. That was a, after the hottest day in the world. Oh. Yeah, after the hottest day in the world. I mean, France in the start of the World Cup. But yeah, I think those, those were my sort of two, and besides obviously all the rugby stuff, I think, but those are, the, those are my, my standout moments. Guys, can I tell you a very quick story about Casper, um, uh, what's it, Casper Vivier, yes. I think. Um, so we were watching, um, I was actually at that game, the Italy um, Namibia game, it was awesome, it was such a great vibe, like lots of, I think what's cool is also seeing all the African like fans of rugby all come to this game, because obviously it was one of the more affordable ones, so it's like fans from like Obviously, South Africa, Namibia, Botswana, Kenya, all there, which is cool, Zimbabwe as well. So we were on the side that the Namibian players were warming up. And, you know, obviously, we, um, I was with a group of friends, our wives as well. You know, the guys obviously watch rugby, the wives, uh, maybe not so much. And, yeah, so people obviously, like, you know, I've got this podcast, so people are, like, asking me, okay, like, what's going on here? So... You see the, the Bibian players jog up there. They're starting to warm up. And you see this man, Mr. Viviers, and you're like, <laughs> okay. Some of the things that Viviers is doing, like the burpees and, you know, the squats and, you know, running in the ladder and all that sort of like those sort of warm-ups, he's not doing it in the same uh, enthusiasm as maybe the other players are doing it. And it was a few comments, you know, from all, from like the people we're watching with, uh, my friends. And it was like, why is he like, is he a professional rugby player? Like what's going on here? Like, is he, is he okay? Because he doesn't look like he's even surviving this warm up. Never mind what he's going to do on the field as well. So we already had a, a taste of what Casper could do 
um, in the warm up, and we're a bit worried that he's going to come onto the field. <laughs> he then does come onto the field. Italy was attacking where we were behind the poles. The one Italy try literally happens because Casper did not bend down. You know, obviously, when you're at- defending your line, the two, three forwards next to the rack are pretty much on their knees for pick up and goes. Casper is straight up. He is straight up. He doesn't want to. Be, he doesn't even try to bend his waist. Never mind his knee. And the Italy guy basically just goes near his feet, and he just basically just like throws his hands up. And I'm like, dude, this was your fault. I don't know who else you're trying to blame here. And then, yeah, the moment where he he dropped the pin, he the fold. He called the fold early. <laughs> was he calling the fold? You know what, Cooks, you're probably right. You're probably right. He's like, sorry, I, I've got nothing to do. He's better depending on what. That's what he says. That's my, that's my channel. It's pretty much what. <laughs> do, you know, do you know what the thing <laughs> is, Tyler? Not, there's not a single listener on here that has played club rugby that cannot picture that exact type of person they've played 100%. With. 100%. I, I've never identified with a rugby player as much <laughs> as I identified with Casper <laughs> Vivier's that day. Oh, it was brilliant. And so he calls, um, oh, the moment where he did drop the P-bomb, I think it was either Kapozo or um, Odugo that was attacking like him out wide. I don't know why he was that wide in the first place. Because he was too and- tired to walk inside, that's why. We know, we know what <laughs> happened. We've played with these guys. He gets absolutely torched by whichever Italian outside bike, <laughs> professional rugby player, superstar athlete is running against him, drops the P-bomb, Again, I've never identified with a rugby player as much as I've identified with them. Only to find out because a friend, well, a friend of mine, but a friend of a friend, he um, was in Fintok High School. He played rugby to a decent level himself. He was saying that, no, this guy's like a professional hunter or something like that. Like, that's his day job. So he's obviously not really playing rugby week to week. And, <laughs> yeah, um, he's obviously a senior statesman that got into the squad to, to give some prop dip. But, yeah. Casper Vivias, he's the hero of the World Cup for me, do you clearly. Know, but do you know the best part? Like, I, I see this happening and I can just, I'm just relating back to my days. Like, the, when you say that he was standing outside and he just got burned by Ange and he's like swearing at it, you know that he's swearing at someone going, why the hell were you not here? Why am I standing here <laughs> and why are you not here? Because like his whole job... He's that guy, you know that guy when you're playing cricket that can't catch for shit? Like you try and hide him away in the mm. field? <laughs> I think that's what his job was. I think he was just like, I just want to get the, get the hell away from everybody. Yeah, and it was a hot day. So, no, Cooks, you're right. Kasper, yeah, he, he earned his money that day. Legend. Cooks, I don't know if you have any other like moments that stood out, but I think one that stood out uh, from a <laughs> South African point of view, I mean, look, I don't think the vibes have been as nice with the Springboks as they've been in this World Cup. Like, it seems like all of them love each other. Like, they were great with, like, when Skulk Brits was visiting. Like, there's so many nice, sweet moments where you can see, like, these, like, 30-odd guys genuinely like spending time with each other. But, um, <laughs> folks, you probably will appreciate this moment a little bit more than um, others. But when Lukanyo Am comes in to the squad and returns and <laughs> we see Sia Kolisi, <laughs> he says, he says, hey, but <laughs> and yeah, I'm not sure how that to tra- translate that to get the meaning for English people, but 
it's pretty much a it's rude really word to call someone and yeah. it's very hard to <laughs> translate but like in Kosa is he testicle he's, 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 he's called him testicle yeah I tried to go yeah, for it <laughs> yeah it's basically called him hey testicles like that's basically <laughs> but that's the, the true <laughs> outline definition but that's how he, no. that's how he greets his that's how he that, that's how he greets his captain like it's like it reminds me that of like you know it's like when you're watching like you know when you're watching those movies like those like like southern american movies and and they're, and they're like mm. old cowboys, you know, and it's like, you, man, the fuck could see you, brother. That means the most harshest way with each other. You're like, keep us. <laughs> that's what oh, reminded that me of. That is sensational. Like, that's a, a great way of greeting your captain. Like, just calling him basically testicles. Hey, my send dog. I've not seen this man for months. They've been separated by continents and like sea and land and air. And that's the first thing he says to him when he sees him. Like, absolutely brilliant moment. And a brilliant moment. Of and like you said, Stella, as well. and like what you tweeted is, whoever was Siakulis' roommate, yeah, it's time to, time to move out. Yeah, you're done. You've got to look <laughs> Lukanyo there now. Also, could you please um, discuss uh, SRI Magazine calling Lukanyo um, lucky? Like, what is that? <laughs> like, I'm like, he's back. I'm like, what the fuck is lucky? <laughs> Why is he lucky now? <laughs> no one's ever called him that. Like, this looks so... I'm like, okay, Lucky's back. I was like, what is going on here? <laughs> Just giving people nicknames. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was also definitely one of those, like, if someone's been calling him Lucky, it's probably like, you know, in primary school when, like, a, uh, a white Afrikaans or white coach maybe sees a name is like, ah, I'm not going to try it. It's, it's, Lucky seems like it's the closest one that works here. No, 100%. But also, I, I do think last last moment for me that reminds me. I think there's no one, no no one or a player or thing that probably got more slander than the checkered sixty sixty Bok jersey that away one. That one just got ripped apart, <laughs> week in week out, and it felt like you're playing this jersey all the time as well. Yo, there, there's nothing that caused more controversy than, than and also we played in another. I've never seen a team go to World Cup. Like, you know, we're both big With football fans. And, and every single football team has got, uh, which also, there's a home kit, there's a away kit, there's an alternate kit, just in case, there's a clash. There's three different kits. The Wallabies, for example, have got one jersey. We somehow have got two away jerseys. I, I've, I've, it was unbelievable. Like, so I'm like, <laughs> is that, is that going to be also available for, for purchase since we, like we, have, we, have, we have three kits now? Like, you know, now we're just rolling around with three kids. I'm like, okay, this is what we're doing now. We just say, Basically, I have alternative kits now. Like this, uh, I, I'm here for this uh, Springbok energy. <laughs> that's literally come down from the marketing director. You know that that's the only reason why it's, it's come down from the marketing director. There's no other reason for, for that. <laughs> it's chaos. Well, are we not going to play in the Colgate kits on Saturday? Because isn't this a clash with France? Oh, oh don't, don't, don't you dare say that because... <laughs> The boss might as well just play shirtless. They're the, the better of playing shirtless at the stage or like just going back to the... Well, the how amazing would it be if the box pulled out a fourth jersey? That would be the greatest thing ever. Oh. Like, no, I, this jersey... <laughs> jersey, this jersey, This jersey was made because this was when uh, Dr. Donnie Craven started descending and decided rugby's going to be a thing in South Africa so now we have to wear the special maroon, poor... Like, I'm so finding a reason to wear a different color jersey. <laughs> Like, is not oh, Paul Russell's birthday or something? Or did Donnie Craven not do something? Did Donnie Craven, is not, is it, is it a memorial that he's done something this week? So might have to wear a special jersey for him. Like, you know, like, we need to check up what, what our legends did in, 
before on on on, on Saturday's days where we might have to wear a special a special tro- throwback jersey. Yeah, I think there's yeah, I, I think we'll see a lot of um, extra cash being made if <laughs> that white jersey I think will sell out will sell out so quickly as well. So it's I'm I'm mad at Nike for that for them hiding that kit away until that Tonga game. Yeah, it seemed like it was purposeful to try and get people to buy the Colgate kit. Yeah, I think that there's been a lot of moments. Sean, I think you probably have to bounce soon. But um, yeah, just in terms of the more negative side, fraud watch, teams that or players that disappointed, people that maybe proved you right that you need to slander, like just get it all out. Um, I hit fraud watch earlier. Um, yeah, it, it a lot of oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. a lot of guys and uh, just didn't really put their hand up, but probably the biggest fraud watch for Scotland would have to be maybe I'd say Gregor Townsend and maybe Huey Pilatu because the wingers being put on fraud watch and the and the fly off is a little bit tough when when the game plan maybe or when they've been absolutely blown out the water um yeah I don't know like Eddie Jones is is on fraud watch is probably no doubt about it he is he's it burns me out because I'm a massive fan He's he's definitely on fraud watch. I I honestly I don't see him being able to move like get out of this contract and move somewhere else and and sort of regain his credibility. Like to fix the shit that he's created, he has to stay with Australia and fix it. Like win a Lions tour and like maybe go and win the World Cup next time around. Like you know he's gone and said that he's very unhappy with the results, but very happy with what they've accomplished as a team. Awesome. The only way you're going to fix that is is by in the next four years, winning yourself a Bledisloe Cup, winning yourself a Lions Tour, and winning yourself a World Cup. Like, that's that's it. Fraud watch and anything else that... Gee, Sean, a, Bledis- a Bledisloe Cup. You don't know Ian Foster's done with the All Blacks after this, right? Like, since you're saying... <laughs> Scott Robinson's coming in. <laughs> yeah. Scott Robinson, there's a fail. New Zealand have banned him from going to watch them play. What? You're joking <laughs> with me. <laughs> That is unbelievable. <laughs> oh man, it's chaos. There's been a lot of there's been a lot of shit good, but um yeah, off the top of my head, I think Scotland probably the biggest disappointment and my Alan Gobisi 10-12 combo. Oh shame. Yeah, um World Rugby social media on Fraud Watch. The obviously we've seen all the Media, oh. the, the copyright strikes and that we pretty much have no highlights or anything that we can see on the World Cup up until like six days later sometimes. So like, yeah, that's been a complete dog show and ruining, ruining the, the, the one moment or at least one of the few moments in, in, in the four-year cycle where your sport is near the forefront of everyone's minds. Like, well done, World Rugby. Um, Bill Bowman getting booed by the French crowd was <laughs> so hilarious. Actually, like I don't even know he even had like ops in, in in France as well. Yeah, so I'm not sure. I don't think he'll get any re-elections anytime soon. Um, yeah, Cooks. Any other fraud watches you want to add to this? Um, Georgia, unfortunately. Um, I, yeah, know I think. I mean, listen. If you if you want if you want to kick a fuss about getting in the Six Nations, let's at least be Portugal. Like you know what I mean? It is, it is come up with a win. I think, um, I think with Georgia, I think they could have been been faulted for, for peaking too soon. But I think for Georgia, it was a tough World Cup for them. I think yeah, obviously not not beating Portugal, and then you look at 
I know they were good against I know they were good against um, Fiji, but the game I thought it would win. I thought Georgia probably could even stolen one against Wales or Australia. I think that would be their target. So Georgia was, I think, um, that's definitely a, a a a big a big forward watch for them as a team. I think obviously Eddie Jones that says it all. Um, I just genuinely can't wait for the for George the press conference when Eddie Jones and the team gets back because. The press, the press conference he had leaving there, calling them, calling everybody negative, like just, just, just how negative they are. Now it's gonna be. I don't know. What, I don't know what he's gonna say now to give yourself, exact same give yourself uppercuts, mate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I don't know what he's gonna say, but at, um, yeah, but I think I think Georgia's big one. I think Scotland, obviously, we spoke about it. Them are basically not, not throwing a punch, but um, yeah, and Italy, but I think Georgia as well. I think we definitely got to add them in the mix, but yeah. The, and then, um, yeah, we'll see now the real force does come out now, come, 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 come the playoff stages. Yeah, the streets are calling Finn Russell, uh, Tupelo to and Hugh Jones, um, Elton Yankee, Cyril Forster, and Lionel Mapu. Um, yeah, but you didn't hear that from me. Yeah. Uh, what did you, what did you drop this week? I haven't said anything then. That's the worst part. <laughs> Tala, what did you drop? You dropped, a, you dropped a sensational one this weekend. I mean, I think they're just Glasgow, um, Harold Forster and, and, and Lyme Mapu. I think I called um, Hugh Jones, um, UK Passport Tiger Backs as well. Yes, that's what you did. That was ruthless. <laughs> the best reply, I can't remember who it was. The best reply was half the people don't know who Tiger Backs is. So I had a good chuckle with that. Yeah. Probably only, only the Cape Town, uh, us Cape Town no, guys. I had a great chuckle. But um, flip, that was, yeah, sheesh, man. Oh. Varsity Cup hero Tiger Backs. Like, please, please put some respect on his name. Yeah, just another very quick fraud watch. Um, yeah, we <laughs> this yeah, we have to also just bring it to um we, let's call it mind games or whatever the case is. Like, yeah, we'll we need to talk to our, about our director of rugby. Like, we can't all be laughing and saying mind games and everything because he's yeah, uh, he's he's not really batting high with the mind games right now because you know, he's supposed to put mind games when he said Ireland have the pressure because they haven't gone to the quarterfinal and Ireland beat them. And then with the Ireland-Scotland following thing, like, what if Rossi just, that's how he gets his updates? Like, has anyone thought that that might be the case? That's the reason why he follows two or three accounts at a time. He's like, okay, I'm interested in this team or this game. This is how I'm going to get updates about the game. Like, I feel like we, we yeah, we, we're saying everything is mind games. Ian Foster tried with the mind games by saying, I like, the game is too slow when Dead game had just one more minute of ball and play time than our game. I don't know what context Rassi was throwing in the stats from the 1995 Rugby World Cup final. I was a bit lost with that. Eddie Jones tried with mind games as well. Uh, yeah, I think this has not been great World Cup for mind games so far, but we'll see. I'm sure these next three weeks, there'll be definitely some mind games and narratives happening as well. Scotland, oh my gosh, Scotland had a disaster class with mind games this week. Um, King Orn said no, we'll end the streak against Ireland. Uh, I think Finn Russell and Gregor Townsend also were quite bullish as well. Like, I mean, obviously, you must support your team, but these guys are just hitting, batting at a zero average with with that at the moment. So, yeah, I think we hopefully will see the, like, yeah, with Gatland and Jones probably seeing the sunset now, we're hopefully going to see the end to mind games now. Okay. So we are going to have a big week of podcasts. We are at least trying or aiming to um, pod at least once every day up to the the the, the weekend's games. We're going to try to preview and go in depth in, in the quarterfinals. 
maybe we'll pick a team of the tournament or react to the Springboks and all the other teams that have come out. We'll try to give as much content as possible, as much as we can help it. And we're going to make sure that you have more than enough to um, enjoy probably one of the best weeks in the rugby calendar, which is quarterfinal week. Cooks, Sean, thank you so much. And yeah, we will see you for the next podcast. Bye. Cheers, guys. Thanks, guys. Cheers, guys.